0: Um, to to be here with uh, with your people and God we we pray for uh, uh, not just this morning but these next uh, five weeks um, along with uh, just the um, what we hope to be a a, a future of ministry that continues to uh, seek to exalt Jesus Christ and and seek to um, see and have disciples made. And and so, Lord, um, I, I really don't believe we're we're doing anything different than what this church has done over a hundred years. Um, and so we thank you for that rich heritage that we stand in, um, that there have been men and women throughout the last century um, who with the same desires and the same pursuit um, have wanted to follow you and to do so well. And so, uh, Lord, we pray for us now, uh, those that uh, here in 2015 and the years um, to come, if you give them to us, that uh, will be responsible for um, continuing a faithful biblical ministry. And so, Lord, we want, we want to just uh, lay these things down at your feet. Uh, we believe that, uh, that they come from your word. We believe that uh, they clearly reflect what you have said. Um, Lord, give us the grace we need to live them out. Um, Lord, in these next few minutes, as we think through what it means to be Christ-centered, I pray that you would come and meet with us in a special way. That uh, you may come and you may poke and prod and cut and sew and repair um, the areas of our hearts and our lives that, that need your work. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you'd come and do that. And we pray this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. And so uh, our mission that we clarified back in uh, late December, early January was really um, our, our is to glorify God. By being disciple making disciples. And then we began to ask that question. Okay, well how does that happen? And we arrived at these four activities. Um, that being Christ-centered worship. Uh, we believe that the believers should gather corporately together to worship. And we believe that your life actually should be a, an act of worship. And so you gather here uh, on a Wednesday or on a Sunday. Um, but you are somewhere else. More than, often, more than not during your time during the week. And, and worship, having Christ as preeminent in your life is to be uh, central to that. Christ-centered serving um, was uh, the, the second of the four. As we looked at what the early church did, as we looked at what the early church was commanded to do, even the actions that they had, Christ-centered serving was, was certainly there. Christ-centered community groups, uh, they, they gathered together. You see often the, the church gathering together, the church gathering as a part of their natural rhythm of life. It wasn't just something they did on a Tuesday night. It was actually probably seven days a week for, for meals and for worship and for encouragement. And, and you can actually see some of that, that emphasis on, on gathering and on community play itself out in different areas of the world where if you are limited in the number of people that support you, then you probably want to go and be around those people. And so you think of our brothers and sisters in oppressed nations, perhaps those that are right now fearing their lives because of ISIS, or in China, as there is a sweeping movement to de-Christianize the nation, uh, those believers cling to each other. And they do so probably a little bit more than we do here in America, where it's a little bit less tumultuous in regards to our faith. But we believe being together is, is important, and doing it's um, with Christ as our focus. And lastly, Christ-centered witness. That not only there will, will there be opportunities and, and programs that our church will host and participate in. But like worship, uh, witness is, is a lifestyle that you live. It is something that, that you actually see as one of the functions of your job. That you as a disciple go to work to also be a missionary. You go to school functions with your kids to be a missionary. Your kids go to school to be missionaries. That, that witness is not just fall festival when we invite everybody to come, but it is also a lifestyle that is lived. And so really the question before us this morning is, what does it mean to be Christ-centered? It was what the video a little bit got after. And, and I'll be real honest with you, this morning I got about an eight-point sermon. And so for those of you that are note-takers, there's going to be three different Different big categories. You can make them numeral, your numeral one, two, three. We're going to go with the what does it mean to be Christ centered? We're going to go with why should we be Christ centered? And then we're going to get after the how a little bit. Uh, there will be three in the first two, two in the third. And so if you really like to plan out your, your space on your paper well, there you go. Um, but what does it mean to be Christ centered? First and foremost, we believe it means to have the glory and fame of Jesus as our life's primary pursuit. To have the glory and fame of Jesus as our life's primary pursuit. Um, some of you have been to Bible college. I, I went to a Christian liberal arts school in Indiana called Grace College and then did the, the seminary thereafter. And there was this unique um, th- this unique thing, and I'm not sure how else to describe it, that happens at these Christian colleges. It's sometimes referenced as a bubble, where you get on campus and everything just feels a little bit more spiritual. Everybody kind of talks in, in, in more spiritual overtones. Perhaps they're trying to impress people. Perhaps it's, it's you, just, you just don't know why all of it's happening, but, but it's this bubble, this kind of, this veil around these areas um, that, that probably actually is not that great, because It seems to uh, create this false sense of spirituality. Uh, But one of the things that this bubble does is it seems to have encouraged um, throughout the years well-meaning men and women to to take deep spiritual truths and describe them in painfully, painfully terrible ways. So let me give you a couple examples of this. Every year at Grace, we had Hall T-Shirt Chapel Day. Hall T-Shirt Chapel Day is exactly what it sounds. It's a day of chapel where we set aside all other chapel activities and each resident hall parades in front of the student body their hall's T-shirt. So I did that with three different dorms and three different halls. My senior year, I was flying solo for half of it and then they got the best-looking roommate on campus for the second half of the semester. And uh, uh, these hall T-shirt chapel days were just ripe opportunities for deep spiritual truths to be painfully articulated. So here's one of Carrie's, uh Hall T-Shirt Chapel Day slogans. All right, Their Hall theme was Strangers and Aliens. That's biblical. Peter wrote to the church in his epistle, You are strangers and aliens. You want to guess what picture they had on the hoodies that they printed? It was a little Martian. So they, they took this deep spiritual truth and they reflected it as this little Martian. And I think she wore the sweatshirt once. Um, and it just deep spiritual truths articulated in painful ways. Uh, my favorite... Uh, And by favorite, I mean the one that I perhaps like to poke fun at the most. um, I think happened our junior year, and it it still makes me laugh to this day. We were talking about it the other night, and I could almost not say it, uh, but it was, again, this deep spiritual truth reflected in painful ways. Be the moon, reflect the sun, S-O-N. So you see what they did there? They, They took this deep spiritual truth of reflecting the Lord, and they're like, well, the sun... It shines on the moon. The moon reflects the sun. We're, we're going to be the moon reflects. So they had this like, or apparently space was a very popular theme during those years. So they had this orbit picture of a, of a sun and a moon. And, and that was their hall t-shirt slogan. And, and as much as I like to poke fun at that, that takes and illustrates this first point. To have the glory and fame of Jesus as our life's primary pursuit, that we, that we might reflect Christ. That we might do everything that we do for the glory of God. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so he's writing about um, pagan worship and temple sacrifices and, and how that how that affects food and diets. And he you know what whether you eat or drink, and then he just broadens it to every single thing that you could think of. In whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. What does it mean to be Christ-centered? It's to have the glory and fame of Jesus as our life's primary pursuit. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. This is the image that the Lord has given us of himself. This is part of the reason that the second commandment was given. Have no other graven images because those images are an affront to the person of Christ. Because Christ is the image of God. Of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 tells us that He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, He is the exact imprint of His nature. What does it mean to be Christ centered? It means to have the glory and fame of Jesus as our life's primary pursuit. Secondly, what does it mean to be Christ-centered? It is believing the gospel is the good news that both saves and sustains. I think if we very just, in, in, in taking a look at our language, we often speak in, in language that reflects that we, we somehow believe that the gospel just for unbelievers. We've got to go take the gospel to people. We've got to go share the gospel. And that language is not wrong. And the gospel is certainly for unbelievers. But the gospel is just as much for us as believers. The gospel saves and it sustains. It was Paul's big point in 1 Corinthians 15. Where he writes to a church of believers to remind them of the gospel that they are kept by. Paul in Romans 1 would say this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live eternally by faith? Absolutely. But the righteous shall also live here and now by faith. And Paul, quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2, is is writing and quoting from this minor prophet who's who's writing about God's people not living by faith. So eternally, yes. Here and now, absolutely. What does it mean to be gospel-centered? It is believing the gospel is the good news that both saves and sustains. Thirdly, what does it mean to be Christ-centered? It is considering everything else or all else in life as a distant second to knowing Jesus. It's considering all else in life as a distant second to knowing Jesus. This past Friday night, I was with a group of of men, There was about 25 of us or so down in Hagerstown. It was late. We had a massive bonfire. We were enjoying some time together. Um, and one of the things that we did around the fire is we, we took these little uh, slats of wood. They were just pallet wood cut down to about six inch long strips. And uh, we all had markers. And I gave the guys the instructions as we were getting ready to launch um, 12 weeks of just some intense purposefulness for the Lord. And I said, guys, here's what I want us to do. I want you to, I want you to think of what, what it is that you feel like you need to get rid of. But then I also want to just frankly recognize that, that some of you are trying to live for the Lord. Some of you are, are, are trying to love your wives well. Some of you are spending time in his word every day. Some of you are, are doing these things. And, and I shared with them a, a quote or a perhaps simple prayer that I had heard at a conference several years ago um, in which we were led to just uh, hold out our hands and say, Lord, take my worst and take my best and give me Jesus. I mean, th- th- there are things that we know that we need to get rid of, right? And yet there are some things that we are trying to do well. There are those mornings that we spend in God's Word. There are those moments and those those times that we set aside purposefully to pray. There are those people that we're trying to love well. And what does it mean to be Christ-centered? It means that even the good stuff we put on the back burner, because we just want more of Him. Take my best, take my worst, and give me Jesus. We want more of Him considering all else in life to be a distant second to knowing Jesus, is what led a man by the name of Horatio G. Spafford to write one of the most enduring hymns that has ever been written. And it was done so well over a hundred years ago. You would know the name and certainly the refrain, but Horatio G. Spafford had a horrific three years of life. He lost most of what he had, had built and as a businessman had, had put time and effort in, in the Great Chicago Fire. He at one point, I believe his family had been suffering from um, different bouts of illnesses that, that were, were really taking a toll on his family's health. And he sent his family, his wife and his four daughters, across from America to Europe to go and figure out what was next. And their ship, in the midst of a fog storm, runs and collides into another ship. And their ship sinks. And he gets word from his wife by telegram that just simply said, Saved alone. Horatio G. Spafford's four daughters drowned in the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean as the ship sunk. And his wife alone was saved. And this, in considering all else as a as a distant second to knowing Jesus, is what led that man to pen those words, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, he he, he penned those words as as he sailed over the latitude and the longitudinal points that his daughters died. He asked the captain to tell him, hey, you let me know when we get there. And he's writing these words. When sorrows, like sea billows roll, you can just see the waves crashing against the hull of the boat. The waves that claimed the lives of his four precious girls. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well with my soul. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. Was nailed to the cross and I bear it. No more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Those words have actually proven to be an enduring comfort to generations of believers. But it is this point, considering all else in life as a distant second to knowing Jesus, that would lead such a man to write such words. And I think you and I, and I'll just speak for myself, I stand here today and and I I honestly would go, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could do it. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I could pen those words. I might be penning something, but they may not be those words. And I think what we see promised in the Scriptures, and what certainly countless testimonies and stories of generations of believers past have yielded, is that God gives us the grace we need when we enter those moments. What does it mean to be Christ centered? It's to have the glory and fame of Jesus as our life's primary pursuit. It's believing the gospel is the good news that saves and sustains. It's considering all else in life a distant second to knowing Jesus. Well, let's ask the question then why? Why should we be Christ centered? Well, firstly, it's biblical. From the beginning to the end of the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, God is forming a people for himself in Christ Jesus. It was true of the Old Testament saints. It is true of the New Testament saints. From the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, God is forming a people for himself in Christ. And so to be Christ centered is, we believe, to be. Biblical. We believe it's to be faithful to not only what we see God doing in the scriptures, but what he has commanded us to do. Secondly, why should we be Christ-centered? It's faithful to the commands that we've been given. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that I have commanded You and lo, I am with you, even to the ends of the earth. We believe being Christ centered is faithful to the commands that we have been given. We believe that the command that Jesus gave his disciples in the Gospels to follow him is the same command that we have been given, and the very same command we are looking to call others to join us in. And so to be Christ-centered is to be faithful to the commands that we have been given. We have not been called to make converts. We've been called to make disciples. And one of the simplest, if not the simplest way that I've, that I've found to articulate this is simply with this statement. I follow Jesus. You come follow me. I think the very simplest that I can articulate what making disciples look like is, I'm trying to follow the Lord, you come and follow me. It's what we do with our kids, it's what, it's what we're called to do with our, our friends and our coworkers in our neighborhoods. We're called to make disciples, and I think the easiest way that we can express that process is, I'm trying my best to follow the Lord, you come and follow me, and we'll do it together. I got a text from a guy in our church a couple days ago that I was encouraged by. And uh, the text said this: It said, uh, Hey, pray for me as I really pour into this other guy's life and, and try, to, try to encourage him to follow the Lord well. And, and like, I, I kind of did a little bit of a jig dance in my mind because it's like, That's it. I mean, that's the idea. I mean, if we were just a church of people trying to follow the Lord well and trying to influence others into following the Lord well, I think we got it. And in some ways, those things are simple to understand, and they are way difficult to live out. But I think we can get it by articulating that it's faithful to the commands that we have been given. The Scriptures speak about us following in great detail. And we've been studying the book of Mark, and we're taking a break from that for the next five weeks. But let me read you a quote that I read a few, a few weeks ago in, in the book of Mark, but it, it bears weight on where we're at here. The word follow is used in the Gospels only of Jesus' disciples, never of those who oppose Him. Occurring 19 times in Mark, Following is a load-bearing term that describes the proper response of faith. And here this scholar inserts a reference, Mark 10, 52. That's where we were last week. The reference that he is making is to Bartimaeus, who is healed not only physically with his eyesight, but also saved spiritually and follows Jesus on, quote, "...the way." So he inserts that reference. Following is indeed practically synonymous with faith. Following is an act that involves risk and cost, it is something one does, not simply what one thinks or believes. We've been called to follow. Disciple, follower, I mean, those terms are synonymous. We've been called to make disciples. We've been called to make followers. And so why should we be Christ-centered? It's faithful to the commands that we've been given. Thirdly, why should we be Christ-centered? It's how we change. Being Christ-centered is how we change. Paul would say this in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face... Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, we're, we're transformed into the same image. What image is that? That's the image of Jesus. We're transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And that's from one degree of imaging Jesus to the next why are we Christ-centered? It's how we change. That word transformed there, we get our English word metamorphosis from. And we're familiar with that scientifically. I mean, we're familiar with that with, uh, uh, with sci-fi movies. I mean, the whole Transformer brand is, is all based on this idea of metamorphosis. That, you know, then they're cars, now they're crime-fighting monster machines. Uh, how about the Hungry, Hungry Caterpillar? That little kid's book, he eats everything and then cocoons himself because he's got a stomach ache. And a few days later, pops out as a beautiful butterfly. And this is process of metamorphosis. We're familiar with that. Let me give you another example of metamorphosis. There is a crime-fighting superhero by the name of Bison Man who is the creation of, of Ryan, and he's one of the, one of the, the characters that Ryan has, has put on paper. And, and some of the backstory of Bison Man, his, his original name was Richard Myers, and he was a 15-year-old innocently uh, visiting the zoo with his father when a freak accident occurred and a bison ran into him. And the the powers and ability of the bison transferred to to Richard. And he woke up from being knocked unconscious with the ability to fight disease and to save the world from all threats, foreign and domestic. And and bison man then became this this character who, who was transformed. Richard became something different. Richard may on the outside have just looked like a plain boy, but on the inside had the powers and the ability of the bison to do incredible things. It's this idea of metamorphosis, this idea of transformation, and and, and us being changed into the image of Christ is the whole purpose for why we've been saved at all. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, we're told, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now let's just pause here for a minute. Paul doesn't say all things work together are good. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say, hey, Horatio, you losing your daughters? Yeah, well, you know, that's a good thing. Now what he says is they work together for good. It echoes the words of Joseph at the very end of the book of Genesis where, brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Certainly, Joseph wouldn't have looked back on his life and go, well, it's, it's a, I'm glad I got thrown in the pit. That was a good day. I'm glad I got arrested. I'm glad I got forgotten. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad Potiphar's wife framed me. I'm, no, but he, he's able to look back on all of those things and say, you know what? God used those for good. This is Paul's point here. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So let's ask the question, what's that purpose? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. See, there's the purpose. There's the purpose of salvation. It's to be conformed to the image of his Son. Why are we Christ-centered? Because it's how we change. And we with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord Are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Why are we Christ centered? Because it's biblical, it's faithful to the commands that we've been given, and it's how we change. The last question we'll ask this morning is how do we live Christ centered lives? Well, first, we delight in the law of the Lord. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 1 as he leads off and prefaces the entire psalter. Blessed is he who delights in the law of the Lord. David writes about this frequently. And in Psalm 19, he talks about, he talks about the law of the Lord being sweeter than honey. Being worth more and more valuable than gold. And, and we, we may rightly ask the question, Okay, David, how did you, how did you feel the Ten Commandments were sweeter than honey? It's because the purpose of the law is to lead us to God's grace. The purpose of the law is to reveal to us where we have fallen short and lead us to the sufficiency that we have in Christ to forgive our sins and to impute to us his righteousness. We delight in the law of the Lord. Uh, one of the most helpful statements that I had uh, have ever heard in regards to just reading the scriptures um, is, is this. Uh, we we don't just read the text. We let the text read us. We can sometimes come to the scriptures in the morning. We can we can read it because, you know what? We we need to read the text and okay, I got my chapter or I got my couple verses done for the day. Awesome. But but rather than just reading the text, we're to let the text read us. Cuz that's what it's intended to do. It's a double-edged sword. It penetrates joints and marrow. It divides soul and spirit, and its intent is to lead us back to God. And so we delight in the in the law of the Lord. Secondly, how do we live Christ centered lives we We work hard at following well. To be honest, some of the things that that I've walked through here this morning, uh, and just being Christ centered. It, it, Quite simple to understand. And entirely something else to live out. Quite simple to preach on. Entirely something else to have in mind and to live out when my kids are frustrating me. So we work hard at following well. We work hard at having the direction of our lives set after, obeying what the Lord has told us, living for His glory. The Scriptures never paint the picture of a disciple as someone who's perfect. If anything, I think the book of Mark, as we've been studying, has has painfully painted a picture or, or purposefully painted a picture of the disciples not being perfect. And that should be very comforting for us. Because we're not called to follow perfectly. And being a disciple is, is, is not characterized by perfection. It's characterized by direction. It's the direction of our lives following well. We're going to work hard at following well. And some of these things we can spot real easily, uh, especially in music. And I was thinking about this uh, the other day. We, we can spot bad theology In music, very, very quickly. I think it's actually easier to spot it in music than it perhaps is in a sermon. Because you could have somebody kind of twisting words. But let's just take some well-known songs to illustrate that. Uh, I have decided to follow me. I have decided to follow me. I have decided to follow me. No turning back. No turning back. We can spot that one real quickly if we sang that. I mean, following me probably hasn't ever gotten me anything worthwhile. Song I have decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. How about this? Turn your eyes upon Tim. Look full in his wonderful face. I mean, if we if we sang that, I mean, could you imagine that? If if the band got up there and like, all right, let's let's sing. Turn your eyes upon Danny. Like, I mean, we probably would fire the guy. And like, if I came up here and said like, hey, like, guess what? We rewrote some songs. It's like you should have a vote. You can spot this stuff really easily in music, and, and oftentimes it's it's a little bit more difficult to spot in life. But we work hard at follow well, at following well. Part of that, I think, comes down to we we spend our time and we focus our attention on the things that stir our affections for Christ, and then we just stay away from the things that rob our affections for Christ how do we live Christ centered lives we delight in the law of the Lord we work hard at following well and so those things will be things that characterize our gatherings Lord willing they have characterized them for the past year that when we gather together it is, it is the scriptures that we seek to understand I mean if you think about it my job's fairly simple I read the Word of God, I explain to you the Word of God, and I help you apply the Word of God. That's the simple task of gospel ministry. So as we gather, we focus our attention on Christ. We sing songs that direct our gaze and our focus and our attention on Christ. The lyrics that we put on the screen should direct ourselves to Him. The preaching that we should have, should direct ourselves to Him. The conversations that we should have, should honor and glorify Him. And so what we'll do over the next four weeks, is we'll begin now giving some definition, to Christ-centered worship, and Christ-centered serving, and Christ-centered community groups, and Christ-centered witness. And as we Unfold and define those things, Lord willing, we're able to understand what what we believe the Lord has called us as a church to do as we seek to obediently follow the mission that He's given us, to glorify God by being disciple making disciples. And so as we get ready to close this morning, we're gonna, gonna spend a little bit more time than normal singing. And so I'd ask for you to stand with myself and the band, and I would love to pray. And then they will lead us, and we'll raise our voices with one another and unto the Lord. Father God, we we praise you for your word, for the salvation that we have in Christ. And Lord, we pray for the grace that we need to follow well. For the grace that we need to be Christ-centered, Lord, I really do believe it's, that is something really easy to preach and it is and it's something entirely different to live out. Something really easy to perhaps understand conceptually but, but to put boots to the ground is where the difficulty comes. So God, pray that you would be gracious in, in helping us live for you and for your glory and that you'd be very gracious to reveal to us the areas in our lives where we still fall short. And we thank you that you are faithful, and you are just, to cleanse and forgive of all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we want, to, we want to just exalt the name of your Son here this morning. We want to praise Him. We want to glorify you. And it's in Him alone where our hope is found. And in His good name we pray. Amen.